Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a transformative episode all about things. From the astounding tale that started it all, to the thing from another world, to John Carpenter's The Thing, and its 2011 prequel. So, dress warm, trust no one, and keep watching the skies as we explore this thing, that thing, and the other thing. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. I love that line um, at the end. Did you hear the one about the boy who got everything he ever wanted? He lived happily ever after or whatever? Yeah. It's like, Come what, on. Like, what happened to the, yeah. Makes my heart grow three sizes. All right. I'm going to pump the water. All right. Well, hey, Kat. Hey, Marshall. It's been a while since I've seen you. Yeah. I think it's like the last time we recorded. Yeah. Typically, we manage to see each other at some point. Uh-huh. But uh, this time, it has been since we last made our witches episode. Which, Which, if I might say, was a very good episode. Check it out, folks. I had a lot of fun. In that time, any spooky gab? Well, this isn't extremely, it's not really spooky, but I realized in going back through my calendar since the last time I saw you that I haven't really done anything apart from watching movies that qualifies but for this, which is that this very morning, Mm. I went to L.A. County's annual burial of the unclaimed dead. What? (laughs) and oh and what i read about it in the la times a couple of months ago and put it in my calendar because i really wanted to go they said it was kind of the biggest turnout they'd ever had this year but mostly it's it's just there was a lot of press mostly it's press there to document it um not a lot of civilians come but they really encourage people to so what this is is that the county of la and i'm sure that this goes on in every city you know there, there are all kinds of unclaimed dead have you heard of potter's fields or potter's graves yeah so that's what this is this is pauper's grave a potter's grave and for the longest time up until i think 1917 or something sometime in the early 1900s they were burying them you know i guess in the you know really simple coffin or mass grave but they realized they were going to be running out of room so they started cremating so how this works is the county does everything they can to get these bodies claimed there are a few john and jane does there just always are. But a lot of these people, they have names. They know who they are. It's just that either they don't have any family or their family doesn't want to claim them or their family can't pay to, to claim their remains. It's like four or $500. You know, they really do everything they can to the extent that when people die, it's a three-year period before they're buried. 
to give the county time to really do everything they can to get people placed. But there are always decedents, as they put it, who aren't claimed. And the county does everything they can to place them. And then when they're not placed, they have, it's always three years later. So the people that I was there to honor today, they all died in 2011. And there were 1,489 people. Wow. Well, uh, where is this? This was in Boyle Heights at Evergreen Cemetery. And there was a lovely cellist playing music as people gathered. They had, it was an interfaith ceremony. They had a rabbi. Um, There was a man who came and spoke in Korean. There was a woman who came, a Buddhist. So we all sang Amazing Grace. And then there was a reading of a poem by Maya Angelou and, you know, more music. And they encouraged everyone to walk around and spend time with the past years, which were marked with very, very small, like maybe six by six square that would say 1961, 1988. Not to get all whatever. It was, there wasn't a lot of fanfare. It was just a very respectful, probably 15 minute ceremony. But, you know, just to kind of bring it back to boys and ghouls, kind of, if I may. Part of our wheelhouse is morbidity and... Uh, yeah, and I think... And, and the, the rights of the deceased. Yeah, and I guess, you know, we... Usually, By the way, that's R-I-T-E-S. Yes, rights. We always keep things pretty light here, but I, I do really feel strongly... I can't speak for every horror fan, but for me, people who aren't fans of horror films, a lot of people think, well, how can you watch that stuff? Like, you have no respect. Like, this is disgusting and, like, it's traumatizing. But in my experience, a lot of the horror fans I know have a deep respect for death. If, and if you're not empathetic dying. with the victims and yeah. the horror films, then the films just fall flat. Yeah. You're kind of watching nothing. Yeah. And I think horror fans are some of the most empathetic people I know. And I, um, I felt like it was a really easy way for me. I had the morning free. I felt like it was a really easy way for me to go give some honor to... The people, you know, some of them might have died violent deaths. Some of them might have drifted off. Some, Who knows? But they had a life and they were at one point alive and they laughed and they had thoughts and ideas and questions and, you know, all the things that we have and, and hopefully loved ones. And so it was nice because they said they had a really good turnout compared to previous years. And it's nice to see other people who decided to talk to one guy who came, who drove from Simi Valley because he just wanted to, he, was, he read about it in the Times and he was curious like I was and you know, for people to be there for these people in some small way, so. But the cemetery was beautiful. I spent some time in there afterwards. There were some pretty old graves and uh, interesting in, you know, eastern L.A. Are the uh, Christmas accoutrements out yet? Um, I'm not sure if they do them there. There weren't any. Wreaths, what have you. Mm, Blankets. Nope. All right. But that might just be some of these places have regulations on that stuff. I don't know. I've never worked in a graveyard. Yes. You have. <laughs> I have uh, during the spring months. Yeah. But I've made more than one trip with my dad out to uh, graveyards uh, in the wintertime for like mm-hmm. Christmas wreaths. And that's a whole thing. Yep. What about you? Any spooky gab? Since I've last seen you, I had a double feature night of uh, Lena Quigley movies. Lene? Oh, geez. I think it's Lene Quigley. You're right. Yeah. In my defense, in these movies, they never say her name out loud. Mm-mm. Both owned by Casey. Uh-huh. Who I'm starting to think only had the USA Network growing up. <laughs> because 80s action horror schlock, I'll just call it. He knows way more than I really thought he did. That's fun. So what did you watch? Uh, both these were from the 80s. Well, one was Night of the Demon, 
which I was supposed to watch at Halloween. Night but... of the Demons with an S or Night of the Demon. There are a few different titles. Mm, that's a good point. I believe uh, Pearl, uh, whichever one has Lena Quigley in it. Night of the Demons has Lene Quigley. Lene. Lene. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm just cursed to say that forever. Uh, yeah, Night of the Demons. I grew up watching that movie. Hey, oh, shout out to Casey. Yeah, I, that movie was a big part of my childhood. Uh, it's, it, wait, it's the one where she has the um, lipstick and puts it into her boob, right? Yeah, that. Such a traumatizing scene. Oh, my God. I've seen GIFs of that. Yeah. And I always thought it was Videodrome. It really doesn't fit in with anything else in Night of the it Demons. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. It lets you know that she's part demon at that point. It's a nice bit of special effects. Mm-hmm. It's so good, actually, I thought it was Cronenberg. Uh, like, that is way more it's... of like a Cronenberg, that era thing to do. Uh-huh. But there it was, just sort of in the middle of Night of the Demons, which has a sort of decidedly different tone to it. Yeah. But she's like, she puts on lipstick, and then she's like, oh, where do I keep this lipstick tube? How about in my breast? What was the other one? Um... From the same year as Night of the Demons, which was 1988, Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bowl-O-Rama. Casey owns this one? Casey does. He owns this both of them. gem of the cinema? I love that. And he said, why don't I bring them over? Uh, so we did. So we had a whole Lene Quigley uh, evening. And then a little later, uh, out in uh, Magnolia Park, they have a night, sort of pre-holiday night, where all the stores stay open later. And yeah, I've always wanted to do that. Got, like, I haven't done it. carolers on every block or singers of... Uh, of some type. And the uh, Creature Features store had everything was like 20% off. So I made a purchase I'd been meaning to make for a while. Haven't watched it yet. I uh, told Casey I'd watch it with him when I open it. It is Lene Quigley's Horror Workout. What? Still in the wrapper. DVD <sighs> of Lene Quigley doing aerobics. Autographed. Really? Yeah, look. Where? It must be the disc. Oh, that's where my money went. That's where your money went. Yeah. So uh, an autographed Lene oh. Quigley horror workout where I guess she um, works out with chainsaws, works out with monsters. It's a spoof of exercise videos and fright films. This, next time I go over to people's homes, like with horror movies, as I do from time to time, I like to bring like something for like a little pre-show, uh-huh. either a DVD of trailers or like a cartoon or something. I'll show uh, Lonesome Ghosts where we're Mickey Mouse and Goofy or like little Ghostbusters. This may become my new pre-show entertainment. I can't wait to see it after you've watched it with Casey. Sure, yeah. I was kind of hoping it was like really a workout thing. Like, I was like, I want to work. Is it not? Well, it says it's an exercise spoof. So, I mean, I'm sure it's like, I don't know how much of a workout you're going to get watching this video and doing the exercises, but I'd love to watch you do them. We'll see. (laughs) So when deciding what our December uh, episode was going to be about, we batted a couple things around, and then I said, well, how about The Thing movies? And you're like, yes! The Thing, North Pole. North Pole, Christmas. 
That should be our December topic. Yeah, except it's the South Pole, but you know. Well. In the in the in the story, it's the North Pole, but I think in all the rest of them, it's the South Pole. In no, in the uh, fifty-two. In oh. The thing from another world. I knew in one of them because I've just absorbed three movies and a and a novel. But yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's the thing from another world. It's the North Pole. Yeah. The rest of them, it's Antarctica. Which is the South Pole. Yeah. And I, I don't know why one over the other, but th- there you go. So Santa. Santa <laughs> failed to make an appearance. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there really are people on Mars. Well, who knows. Well, if there are, I hope they have someone like you up there, Santa, to bring joy and good cheer to all the Martian children. So, Who Goes Who Goes There was published in August of 1938, written by John W. Campbell, or John Wood Campbell Jr. In a, a magazine? It was published in the August 1938 Astounding Science Fiction magazine mm-hmm. and has been very popular ever since it spawned the 51 movie, The Thing from Another World, the 82 John Carpenter, The Thing, and then the 2011 The Thing, which was a prequel. So... The short story... It's a novella. The novella was about a bunch of scientists and the like. In... Antarctica. Yeah. And they find a spaceship that's been buried for... The numbers vary. The numbers do vary. 20 million years 20 in this million version. Years. It's like 100 million in the uh, 82, or or maybe it's the remake. It's all guesstimations on their part, because in a couple of these versions, including the story, while trying to get it out of the ice, in one, they're just trying to blow the door off, off the spacecraft that they found. They're like, we found a spacecraft. Right. Let's get out of the ice. And they accidentally just blow the whole thing up. Yeah. Consolation prize... They find an alien frozen in the ice. They assume he was the pilot and that the mm-hmm. reason he wasn't in the ship that they just blew up trying to open it is that he was like trying to crawl to warmth and safety. So yeah. he's away from the ship. Second theory is he was crawling out so he could freeze himself. Sure. Because this thing, the oh thing, oh boy, is not really dead. He just goes into a, a perfect hibernation and comes out of it again once the scientists thaw him out. In the 39 story... It's much closer to the 82 John Carpenter movie in that once he's out, he starts trying to imitate a dog. And then from that, it's surmised pretty quickly, by the way. They, they're they pretty quick to figure this out in, yeah. in the story. I guess that's why it's a novella, not yeah. a novel. <laughs> they get to the goods. That it could also imitate a man and it can also just split off that all of its cells are independent. Yep. So every little small part. So if you cut off the thing's finger, that finger's independently yeah. driven to replicate and assimilate and become whatever it is it touches. So that you know it's yeah. a survival mechanism and sort of hide itself inside of other beings, which means and become them and become them. So the men of the ice station, no one can trust each other, Hopefully. and it goes from there until they figure out a way using the blood. Talk uh, about immediately as, as a way of figuring out right. who's who. Talk about raising the stakes so high, so fast. Once everyone realizes that any one of them could be this alien, mm-hmm. the stakes just go through the roof. Um, and in the novella, it's discovered at the end of the story that the thing was dangerously close to completing construction of an atomic-powered anti-gravity device that would have allowed it to escape into the outside yeah. world. That doesn't really happen in the Carpenter. Yeah, it, it, does, it does. It? Wilford yes. Brimley, who's Blair, they find under the shack they've been keeping him in. It's just oh, a oh, oh, I'm sorry. Wow. Yes. Well, he was building. That's in, right. In the story, they actually watch it work. Yes. And in the John Carpenter, 
you just see like a tiny, almost kid-sized version of the <laughs> spaceship that they find out yeah. in the ice. A little Blair-sized yeah. escape pod. But it does look kind of like a flying saucer. Yeah. Pretty cool. It, it's not like, whereas in the story, it's almost like a jetpack. Yeah. The thing from another world. How did it get here? Where did it come from? What is it? Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? So, a dozen years later, after the novella, Howard Hawks, he's the producer, but a lot of people say that he pretty much directed it. They go back and forth. It seems to be like a Spielberg and Poltergeist. Yeah. The world may never know. And you've been familiar with this movie, Tangentially. Tangentially. For quite some time. And yeah. actually, because of that, I'm really surprised you haven't just gone I and know. seeked it out. It's a really weird missing piece in my Halloween, because Halloween's my favorite movie. Halloween it's my from favorite 1978. Scary movie. Yeah, and in that movie directed by John Carpenter, you see the opening titles on the TV screen. Little Which Lindsay are great Wallace is watching. Titles. Oh, they're beautiful. But yeah, you'd think I would have been like, she's watching this in this movie. I should go watch this movie. Yeah. I just never, you, I never you'd did. You put on your, your Jamie Lee Curtis high waisted pants, I sh- pop I, some popcorn, it and never watch. Happened. The Thing yeah. from Another World. It's pretty crazy. And that opening title, which all three movies wound up using, is like the words, the thing, just sort of burns through the film and light starts coming out of it, which... Gorgeous. Was like a stencil, and then they put like... Underwater. There well, was a, In front of a fish tank, uh-huh. which had smoke in it, and it was backlit, and then they just put like a, basically a garbage bag in front of it and burned it. Yep. And there you go. It looks seems great. overly complicated, but it looks amazing. And, I mean, I know we're not getting any further than the first five seconds here, but it starts with the RKO theme, which is like triumphant and patriotic. Yeah. And it doesn't end, and then the thing starts. The thing music, that dun dun dun, kind of just takes over. <gasps> takes over. Marshall, it, and just you like steps on it. Silly smart man. <laughs> no, that's good. Cool. It's, it's, it's as if the thing. Music is assimilating. It's taking yeah. the shape of the RKO music. Although, they don't really use that part of the story, the assimilation. They, they sure don't. They use basically just the first third of the novella. Yeah. Of finding the spaceship. And that's pretty cool, the way they do it, where they're all... Oh. And you can see this in Halloween also, where they're all just arms out, trying to determine the shape of the ship, and then... It pulls back and they realize that they're all standing in like a perfect circle. Yeah. And they're like, we found a flying saucer! Which was then imitated, you can see in John Carpenter's The Thing, when they're watching the the footage of of the Norwegians, all of them standing with their arms out. Yes, I noticed that. While we're talking about that external moment, Mm -hmm. I just want to mention that this film was partially shot in Glacier National Park, which I guess straddles the U.S.-Canada border, but this was shot in Montana. So okay. that, that external stuff from the 51 movie. But the interior sets were built at a Los Angeles ice storage plant. Makes sense. So they didn't build them in a, in a, on sound stages like they did, in fact, for the Carpenter movie. It was at an ice storage plant. So you could see their breath. Yeah. Gunsmoke. Starring James Arness as Matt Dillon. Um, Marshall, who plays the thing in the 51 version? James Arness. I didn't, you know, everyone in the behind the scenes stuff I'd watch and all the writings about, they're like, ooh, James Arness. People of a certain generation find endless delight that James Arness played the giant carrot monster from outer space. 
because these are people that grew up with, please help me out, Rawhide? Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Neither of us grew up watching Gunsmoke, but to people who did, it endlessly tickles them. He's a young fella and maybe new to some of you, but I've worked with him and I predict he'll be a big star. Speaking of actors in these movies, mm-hmm. the main kind of hero in this one is, let me look up his name Douglas here. Spencer, who plays Scotty, Wait, the journalist. The, as much as I like Scotty. No, I was referring to uh, the one who's got a bit of a, a girl up oh. in the North Pole. Uh-huh. Who, no matter how much their lives are in danger, his army buddies still give him crap over and try to sort of like bust his balls in front of the girl. God. It seems that there's no level of danger that will make a guy stop doing that. No. What's the actor's name? Captain Pat Hendry, played by Kenneth Toby, who has... 214 credits on IMDb. Jeez. Uh, he is a man of longevity. Towards the 80s, he got sort of picked up by the uh, second wave of film brats, including Joe Dante. And so we, we put him in different, like he's in inner space somewhere. He's in the howling somewhere. And he's in Gremlins as the guy who runs the garage that the dad is sort of stuck at for a little bit. He's like, oh, I see you're uh, smoking there. So uh-huh. that all just clicked with me once I read Gremlins. And I was like, yeah, he's the one who gets the smokeless ashtray, and but it's smoking everywhere. That's funny. Yeah. One of the first scenes that really stuck out for me in this movie was when he's alone in the room with the girl you're speaking of. Yeah. The entire first scene between the two of them is her, like, making fun of him. Like, they were together. He got really drunk and, Mm -hmm. like, grew. He had, like, eight arms, you know, whatever kinds of jokes she's making. But I do love that, I didn't realize I was dating an octopus. Yeah. But I love that she's just, like, ribbing him. And he's like, now stop it now. And she's like, I'm sorry. I just can't help myself. And they go on sort of like a quasi-date before things really start getting scary, where she ties his hands. And yes. Then, and then like... What a weird yeah. kind of fun scene. Listen, I'm your friend. Look, I have no weapons. I'm your friend. You're wiser than I. You must understand what I'm trying to tell you. Don't go any farther. They'll kill you. They think you mean to harm us all. But I want to know you, to help you. Believe that. Okay, The Doctor. Let's remember when this, uh, this was made. Uh, between the novella and the movie... What happened was the A-bomb. Yeah. And a general mistrust of scientists then. And it's pretty quick, but when they're talking about the main scientist who ultimately tries to doom them all by placing the life of the alien as more important. He tries to reason with it. Tries to reason with it, tries to grow new ones once he figures out that they're... By the way, all this giant carrot business, it's because it's made of vegetable matter. It's, a, it's like a vegetable vampire. It feeds off human blood, but it's a plant-based organism. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But it still looks kind of human. Yeah. Looks like but bullets won't stop it monster. Any more than, you know, shooting a carrot would. Right. Uh, that's uh, Dr. Carrington. And while they're giving a, a pretty quick bio of him, they just make quick reference to the doctor having been at Bikini. And Bikini Atoll is where nuclear testing took place from Ooh. 46 to 58. So when this movie came out, it was right in the middle of, if you read in the news, Bikini, it wasn't. Well, two pieces are in style this season. It's nuclear testing. Right. So he's one of those scientists that could kill us all. Right. And who goes up against the scientist and the guys he sort of has on his side? It's the GI fighting man because they're cut off from the chain of command. So it's the man in the trenches. Yeah. He's the serviceman. He's yeah. sensible. And coming out in 52, uh, this is 
close enough to the end of, of World War II that all of the World War II vets were still, you know, young and active. And um, one war's vets become peacetime's action heroes. Aha, sure. And th- that seems to be how it goes. You have a war in real life, and then for the next 10, 15 years, you can have an action hero. And for his backstory, it's, well, he was a knob. It's like, okay, that's all you need. He was a knob. Yeah. He was in World War II. And how they express that over and over in this movie is they'll just mention names of cities and say like, well, this is bad, but not as bad as, and they'll just like list a city in France. Well, are you scared? Well, was I scared when I was in? And they'll just like list something in the Pacific Theater. (laughs) And they do this a lot. In the John Carpenter version, the word Vietnam almost hangs over McCready's head. Sure. Between his disposition and I'll just say his beard. And his drinking. And his drinking (laughs) and his skill with a helicopter but they never say it yeah and in the special features they say well that's what we sort of had in mind when we were writing him but they never needed to say it he's not like well back in da nang it's just you can see it on his face yeah and all that he's been through it he's been through it he and did... that's kurt russell for you he's such a damn good actor he right? just conveys so yeah. much he, without he's having not to say it. at the south pole because he went through a bad breakup <laughs> But more about him later. Sure. Well, just um, great innovative things in this version. Uh, using the Geiger counter to track the the thing. <gasps> the moment when they're it's at behind the door. Yeah. And the Geiger counter. Oh my god! Geiger starts going off. I mean, so I, I was first introduced to that in the movie like Aliens, where they're like twenty feet, ten feet. It's in the room, man. They're where all is around it? Where us. is it? Yeah. Yeah, and they're just using this instrument, and you're just. Using your imagination oh my God. to picture the monster getting closer and closer. And really, it's just one man with a device going... 1.8, compass flex. 1.9, the needle's at the top. Yeah, really great. So, I'm so sure scary. Those, I'm sure those 51 audiences must have lost their mind. Absolutely. That was really good. Uh, it occurred to me at one point during the 51 version that it was it started to feel like a slasher movie because you know it's very isolated and then yeah. i don't remember what part but one of the characters came bursting back in through a door and was like it was out it's outside like it just felt like a it, cabin it, in the woods yeah movie. cabin in the woods old dark house yeah cuz they've got this one location and outside they'll freeze to death and inside there's a monster yep. so what are you going to do yep by the way just going on um using your imagination there's a bit where they say two of the scientists are hanging upside down with their throats cut and the thing is draining their blood. Oof. And they never show it. They never come close to showing yeah. it. Some of the characters see it and report back on it. And you know which door it's behind. It's like yeah. in the greenhouse. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. It's pretty For, messed again, up. Again, 51. I mean, I know everyone's sort of coming off of the horrors of war. Everyone's trying to a return to normalcy. And uh, define what their normalcy is. And in most of their movies and TV... Normalcy is not two scientists hung upside down with their throats cut. Nope. Not at the matinee. <laughs> it wasn't. That probably stayed with the folks like the next day. I was um, scared. So. I was watching it by myself. No, it's, 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 it's effective and still effective. There are fewer movies from the, the 50s that completely translate because just life was different. Mm-hmm. But relatively speaking, I felt like a lot of the suspense and stuff held up pretty well. The 82 version... Could have been made today. It holds up so damn well. 82 versions like getting punched. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. 
So let's uh, let's go on to that. Okay. Its origin, alien. Location, Antarctica. Age, unknown. Intent, survival. Destination, man. John Carpenter's The Thing, the ultimate in alien terror, rated R. Okay, so the 1982 version. It opened June 25th, 1982. Directed by John Carpenter, we keep saying, who directed Halloween, which had the footage from The Thing in it. So we know he's a fan. Yes. It was released two weeks after E.T. And on the same day as Blade Runner. Neither film of which I think did that great in the theater. Both have since become uh, heralded in their own ways. Right. And I think for this one, especially after E.T., everyone's like... E.T., I love you so... And I was right there with them. Yeah. That's the second movie I ever saw in the theater. Mm -hmm. Whereas The Thing really had to take a backseat to that just level of total enchantment. Yeah, who wants to go watch people get ripped apart? It's bleak. E.T.'s so fun. Yeah, The Thing is... Bleak is a really good word. It's just Mm. dark. Yeah. And depressing. Really? Yeah. At the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. And cold. And so And you figure it really smells there. Which, by the way, that's the way the novella started. With just how much that camp smelled. Yeah. Everyone's been wearing the same pair of long johns. And you smell. I smell. If we want to get really technical, the only two female presences in this film are the voice of the chess computer game mm-hmm. which is adrian barbo's voice john carpenter's wife at the time okay and the women on tv on the videotaped copy of let's make a deal there are women on the tv screen other than that no detail wasted that quick little bit of um of let's make a deal yeah it's what's behind door number one what's behind door number two what's behind door number three god i don't want to know and if that's not telling of what's to come yeah <laughs> you know it could have been hollywood squares right but no it's What's behind the doors? Oh, Christ. And as far as that chess game goes, McCready, played by Kurt Russell. All right, you got to be a bit of a loner to separate yourself from society and go live in the ice station. Yeah. But even within the ice station, he's in a separate shack, like 50 feet away from everybody else. And instead of playing chess with, I'm sure there's guys at that station. Of course, play they, chess. they're playing cards later. I'm yeah. sure someone would play chess he's with him. He's playing against a computer. And... When it wins against him, destroys it by pouring whiskey into Cheating it. Cheating bitch. This is the loneriest loner that was <laughs> ever a loner. Therefore, perfect to have to rise to the occasion yeah. to become their leader when the situation has to call for it. Yeah, he's a guy kind of with no friends to mm, begin with. Yeah, but he's out to save his neck and the necks of others. The and necks of the whole world. The necks of the whole world. As it were, yeah. Now, this one goes back to the original source material of who goes there. And brings in the idea that the alien is no longer a giant carrot, but can take the shape of anybody. And grow tentacles, can take the shape of not only a person, but anything it had ever taken the shape of in the past. So what we're seeing when it gets all weird and twisty and multi-armed are bits and pieces of other alien races that it's been imitating through the eons. Which makes you wonder, would I even want to see its true form? If it had one. Yeah, and but does it? It really works on like a cellular level, as they keep saying. Yeah. And 
like who goes there, they develop a blood test, a way to test using the individual cells of the blood to see who's an alien and who's not. And not for nothing, but AIDS. Okay, AIDS, that's right. <laughs> let's talk about AIDS. Let's, let's you and I talk not about AIDS. Not for the first time on this podcast. Uh, the movie was made independent of the AIDS scare. Mm-hmm. 1982, it may have even been called Grip at that time. Sure, they were still figuring things out. Exactly. And then AIDS got a name. And AIDS made it to, like, the cover of Time magazine. And Ronald Reagan took quite a while before he would say AIDS in public. And people noticed that. Yeah. It was a big... And everyone was afraid of each other. (laughs) Yeah. People became afraid of each other. We knew it was in the blood. We believed it was in the blood. Yeah. But Uh, people were still so scared. Oh, sure. Well, how do we know for sure? How do you know? How do you get it? And in, in the thing, it could be the person you're standing next to. It could be the person you think is your very good friend. Is what they have going to kill you? Um, yeah. It makes it scarier and it makes it poignant. A little close to home. So this movie opens with a dog mm-hmm. being chased by a helicopter. Men in a helicopter trying to shoot the dog. Sure do. And you're like, hmm. And the dog is adorable. And apparently the dog that's running from the helicopter in the beginning is a different dog from the one that's so beautifully trained a little bit later in the film. So the dog who's running at the beginning is like just a husky who's been painted to look like the ultimate like kind of star dog. Mm -hmm. The dog that you end up seeing in the camp is a half wolf, half husky named Jed. Come on. I'm sorry. He's, he's just adorable. He is adorable. And he's so well trained. And this dog felt like a good actor. Like this dog felt like it had a purpose. Do you know what I mean? Like he'd yeah. walk down the mission. hall. And there would be long shots of this dog just like moving forward a little bit and being patient and kind of walking and stopping at a doorway. And just, I'm just saying I was very impressed by great this dog Great people acting. acting in this movie. Great dog great acting. Great dog acting. Movie. Such great dog acting. Love and a bit with a dog. That's what they want. By the way, I have to mention this here, and and if you're listening and you don't know this already, you're going to scream at me, but this is the first time I had ever seen this movie. I know, I know. I don't know how, but it was. Of course, it's in the ether, and I had seen famous scenes. Somehow I had not seen the dog transformation moment. That one's pretty crazy. And I... I came out of my skin watching that. I did not understand what was happening. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I did, but you know what I mean? Like my brain was like, what? But, um, but having just read the novella or listened to it when the dog first arrives at the American base and the dog jumps up on one of the guys and and he's licking him. Yeah. I'm going, no, no, because I knew, I knew what it was coming to. I was like, yes, I was like, it's the dog. Anyway, they've chained the dog up. After he's kind of wandered around and we see him go into a room with a guy and I'm like, well, there goes whoever that shadow belonged to. But then they chain the dog up or put him in the pen with these other dogs and then it transforms into this dog thing and it's the scariest thing. Now. It's so traumatizing and I yelled out loud and I was alone and it was awful. The goo that it's just sort of spraying all over the other dog is a substance called Carbopol. It's a uh, food additive found in... Twinkies. (gasps) Twinkies. <gasps> so that by opening this package of Twinkies. What are you doing, Marshall? I'm basically going to uh, eat the same thing that was that alien yucky goo. You know, there's two of those. Would you like the other one? Yes, please. Please stand by. Yes, sir, and you know, boys and girls, every hostess Twinkie 
is a great, great combination of golden light sponge cake on the outside and then fluffy cream filling on the inside. Mmm. Dog thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you reacted that way to that scene, how about when um, one of the guys appears to be having a heart attack and then the doc goes in with a pair of paddles oh. and pushes down? That, I, I know it's coming, makes me lose my mind. I lost my mind. I yeah. lost my mind. The thing is, really, the only imagery I had in my head and from like things I'd seen on the internet of the movie were of the guy, I don't know the character's name, but the mm-hmm. redheaded guy, The when he kind of, that... Oh, oh, when he... He's he, got like the long... He, once he, it's his, morphed and he has a long his, neck and is ugly, his... It, okay, I could no, show I it you to you, but... So I'd seen that, but so dog thing transformation and... The chest that just becomes a paddles. set of jaws and just... And I, he's, got, he's got no arms! I had to rewind it. I was like, what did I just say? Like it was... I mean, come on. Yeah. Really, 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 really upsetting. And especially when, as you mentioned, when it kind of like is in this state where you see a human head and there's like a dog head coming out of it. And there, it's just a bastardization of a lump of matter that is just different things. It's sickening. I mean, I think in so many ways that kind of imagery gets at the heart of a lot of our deep-seated fears at once about, like, mutilation and deformities and, like, just things that can go wrong with us as humans and disease and, like, just everything. I mean, it's just... It really goes right to our makeup. Yeah, it's so disturbing on a really fundamental human level. A very young Rob Bottin did most of the effects. So young. So young and then overworked to where Rick Baker had to step in. Stan Winston. Stan Winston had to step in. He did the dog thing uncredited. We now know this as film historians because he didn't want to take anything away from Botine. I think that's really sweet. Yeah. Good old pro Stan Winston. I've read reviews of the thing in the course of my research and a lot of people panned it when it came out and a Mm -hmm. lot of people said like the effects are a magnum opus. Like it's a an opera, but I don't feel anything for the characters. Didn't need to be made. Things like that. Um, I disagree on that like I actually read that in a few reviews they said like the characters are flat and whatever and I was like I think the characters are really great they're great most of them are kind of hard to tell apart from each other I agree with that (laughs) everyone's under a lot of clothes and in a lot of cases beards yeah and everyone's kind of the same age and when they're outside frozen like everybody's covered in really bundled ice on their faces and yeah yeah. and big goggles yeah big Big goggles goggles. like head shrinky face thing that only shows a circle of your face Kenny from south Park. yes exactly yes (laughs) that's true though i'd like to point out the standout performance of wilford brimley as, oh, as Blair. really affecting, especially when he yeah. was having his freak out and like throwing things and they're trying to get him under control. Wait, like which... I was genuinely afraid that he was going to hurt someone. Goes back to uh, the novella, although he just says he did it. He, he freaks out in like a laughing fit. He's like, by the way, I destroyed all the airplanes and radios. Bah! And you get to see That's it. He's so like disturbing. taking an axe to all this like 1982 reel to reel computers. And he's like, no one's getting out of this ice station. It wants to be us. It's the right thing to do. And then they lock him in the shed. And one time they check in. I've calmed down. Yeah. He's like, (laughs) I'm feeling much better and I'd like to come in. And he's like eating beans out of a can with a noose. Yeah. I was like, where did that noose come from? Yeah. I I was like, did I miss that before? It's like, no, he made it. And that Blair, like the Blair in the story, gets taken over by the thing at some point. I think it might be between him making a noose and 
him eating the beans, the thing got him. Hmm. That, that's my theory. I think it is exhaustive to go on YouTube and see all these fan theories. I guess I should say they have done an exhaustive job and I am exhausted from all these people. Like I watched this one, Alex sent it to me actually, where this guy is breaking down all these clues we're supposed to have that the character who winds up with Kurt Russell at the end that we're supposed to know he's already a thing and how Kurt Russell knows it and comparing Not jacket colors and all this other stuff. What do you mean? Well, I'll get to that when, when we go on ahead. Or let's do that now. We found something quite remarkable. Did you hear that? <laughs> this thing has replicated a person. That's not possible. It's like a virus. Not all of us are human. The thing rated R. The... 2011 kind of a reboot because they're basically doing the whole story over again well they're not though but they're not they're doing an, a similar story but it's exactly it's right before the events of the first film yeah i love the way they went about it which is the norwegian camp which they visit in the 1982 version they want to see where the the guys in the helicopter who wind up blowing themselves up or getting shot while chasing the dog that they never managed to get. They want to know where these guys come from, how they go so crazy so fast. Yeah. So they go to the Norwegian camp, and it's decimated, Ugh. and there's all these odd clues, and there's a monster under a tarp, a dead the thing that was like halfway through its transformation. Yeah, burned, it has two human two faces. Two human heads. Kinda. And somebody had killed themselves, and like their blood is frozen. frozen. Oh, beautiful. And there's like an axe in the wall, and really it's... Just saying what's going to happen to them. Right. The discovery that they go and make of what happened in the Norwegian camp is a really good visual mirror for what might happen to the Americans because it's the sets are the same ones that they used. Yeah. 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 It says what's happened here is going to happen to you in yeah. like the next three days. And it does. So when they decided to make a sequel or do something else with the, the Thing property, somebody wisely decided to show the Norwegian story. Yeah. Now, American audiences aren't just going to sit still for a room full of Norwegians, so let's bring in an American girl. <laughs> and that American girl was Elizabeth... Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Cue the Tom Petty song or whatever. Okay. <laughs> um, I will. Yeah, you should. Yeah. She's a delight. and She's excellent. Mm. I really liked her performance. She was an American girl. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is a scientist who, she doesn't squeal like a girl. Not that there's anything wrong with screaming like a girl when something terrifying is coming at you, but yeah. she's pretty badass when she's like running from this thing. It's not that she's not exclamatory. It's not like she doesn't like shout, but she's like a woman who's strong and smart and scared. And I like the scene great. where she has taken charge and she's separating people. She comes up with the theory that the thing can't replicate metal. So if you've got like a pin in your knee, or an earring, or, or a filling. fillings, it can't replicate you. So she separates everybody by who's got fillings and who doesn't, and then the Norwegians are talking to each other in Norwegian so she can't understand. That's another element of it, too. That's and even more isolating. One goes, she's very clever, and the other one goes, and apparently in charge. <laughs> I like that. She's, she's taken over by that point. And we get to see... Um, we get to see where the two-faced creature comes from. That was so cool. Yeah. In all the behind-the-scenes stuff I read, well, IMDb trivia, the director, he's um, Dutch, and his name is 
virtually unpronounceable because I'm American, but he and his team spent a large amount of time reverse engineering things. Yes. Exhaustively looking at stills from the 82 version and going, okay, we have to remember this axe in the door. The like axe you mentioned, in the door. When, the, when I the saw that axe. The two-headed thing. Like all these elements needed Apparently, to look exactly like they did in the first movie, which I love. Fans had done a lot of legwork already as far as like breaking down where the rooms were in relation to each other. Oh, Wow. Yeah, I love that. I love that they meticulously... And I could see the argument that it's like, this movie really didn't need to be made. And I agree. I don't think it was necessary to make this film, but I really enjoyed... It's a great companion piece. It is, and, and I really enjoyed seeing what happened to these people. And and you did watch this after you watched the 82? Yeah, watched I, well, them I watched them release. all in order, awesome. which was so satisfying. I did as well. I think I wouldn't mind watching the prequel first, as it is a prequel. Yeah, that would be a fun and night. I actually thought that at the end of the prequel, we'll get to that, but I thought it would be really fun to watch the prequel and then immediately transfer it into yeah. the original. Every one of you listening to my voice, tell the world, tell this to everybody wherever they are. Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking. Keep watching the sky. Did you want to talk about the ending of all the iterations of this? Yeah, I want to talk about the endings of all of them. Um, In the short, it's, man, how close we almost came to losing the world because it looked like the thing slash Blair had completed his anti-gravity jetpack. Bonus, now the world has jetpacks. Yeah. Yeah. Because they blew up the spaceship, but now they've got a jetpack. (laughs) Then the thing from another world which ends with Scotty, the the reporter, finally getting to file his story. And two things. One, it's quick, but he says that the doctor was injured while trying to battle the thing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say the doctor was injured while risking everyone's lives trying to communicate with the right. thing. And when he says that, one of the army guys goes, good for you, Scotty. Because he wasn't going to make Scotty suppress the fact that the doctor behaved Risked the entire human race. Yeah. Yeah. He's letting him come off as big a hero as the rest of them. Right. Which was nice. And then... Probably a little more than the doctor deserved. Honestly, yeah. But... And then, just that great line, keep watching the skies. Such an epic ending. Yeah. And then just to send people out in the theater, you know, just... Looking up at the sky. Little glance up. (laughs) You don't know. Which in that one, by the way, they believed it could be an invasion because they subsisted on blood and we've got a planet full of blood, really. And that one wasn't a ship that had been in the ground for thousands of years. That ship had like landed the week before. Yeah. And they they were just finding it. So we could get invaded. I think the Cold War was really just getting going at the time. And uh, there's one quick line about like, could have been an airplane? Oh, these Russians are running around all the time. We don't know what they're up to. And then they just sort of left the Russians alone. But, you know. Anytime they say alien invasions uh, in the 50s, it usually means Ruskies. Yeah. Uh, the ending of the 82. Oh, now, boy. I saw the ending first. My second ever... How'd, how'd that work? Class. Film class. The first class, like individual class, like first night. It was a night class. First week at Delaware County Community College when I was 15. Uh-huh. My mom found a non-credit <laughs> class and signed me up for it. Cute. And uh, drove me there because I, I couldn't drive myself. Yeah. Um, This is adorable, by the way. This is a cute story. The first class was about great openings. So we saw the opening of The Godfather, opening of Rear Window, opening of Dead Ringer, opening of all that jazz, opening of Shaft. 
A lot of movies I'd never <laughs> seen before. I had seen The Godfather. Come back the next week, and it was great movie endings. Oh, spoiler alert. Yeah. And it was, by the way, it was me and my friend Cavallini and a bunch of kind of like middle-aged women who liked movies and a teacher who just loved to teach. Yeah. We actually came back for several of these classes, some of which he didn't even get paid for. He just put it on during the summer for anyone who wanted Cute. to show up. Yeah, no, it was... That's awesome. Really great. Anyway, so for the endings, it was all that jazz again. So oh. I then seen the beginning and the end of all that jazz. <laughs> the ending of The Wild Bunch and also the ending of The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, wherein they blow everything up. It's a suicide mission. The whole ice station gets blown up so that it can't manage to freeze itself and wait to get rescued and then destroy the world. So the last three survivors, then go down to two survivors, then down to one survivor, and it's McCready against the thing, but he blows the place up, and he's walking through the rubble, and then here comes Childs, played by Keith David. So good. And he's like, where were you? He's like, oh, I thought I saw Blair, but I don't know. And he's like, how do I know you're not a thing? How do I know you're not a thing? And he's like, well, it's going to get real cold here real soon. Well... What do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. And then they just pull back and you can just see some little pockets of fire burning. Burning. They've got that that sort of heartbeat. Dun dun. Dun dun. Dun dun. Dun dun. Directed by John Carpenter. What? Such a great score, such a great ending. Now, I was really hoping that at the end of the thing, the prequel, she hops in one of those Bearcats and drives to the American base and is like, hey guys, want a ride? Woohoo! Oh yeah, that would have been fun. I want to mention the... But, But by the way, she doesn't. No. A fan theory I came across about the ending of John Carpenter's The Thing, Mm. which is McCready has scotch, a bottle of scotch he's drinking from, and he hands it to Childs, and Childs takes drink. Yeah. And there's Kurt Russell, McCready, has a little, he like chuckles just a little bit. Well, the theory, I mean, I'm sure there are just hundreds of theories, is that... McCready's a thing and has just infected Childs? No, is that Childs is, is a thing, and McCready suspects as much and the fact that childs takes the drink without question you know without concern like but if i drink after him what if i'm infected infected, the fact that he takes it from him and drinks so there's that is one thing and then the more little bit more ludicrous theory is that it's like gasoline inside there not scotch and the guy drinks it without reacting to that fact but fans point to things like they've gotten early copies of the script, like they're looking at the screenplay, mm-hmm. and there is detail written in that's not dialogue that's like they each have a weapon. And it's like, well, the other guy has a flamethrower. You don't see McCready have a weapon, so... It must be the scotch. Maybe it's the scotch. There's just all kinds of fan theories that I'm fascinated well, to read, but I get exhausted reading them, so then I just stop and go, that's a great movie. I can't think about this anymore. If you take the prequel... As canon, yeah, Childs has an earring. Therefore, I can't speak for McCready, but Childs is not a thing. Right. Although, okay, mm. can we talk about the ending to the 2011? That's right where we're headed. Do you want to explain? Well, the ice station gets destroyed. We knew that was going to happen. One of the thing in man form hops in a bearcat. Is it a bearcat? 
I think so. Okay. I think that's what you call it. They say it in the... Snowcat. Isn't that what they call them in The, the, in the Shining? Shining? Yeah. Okay, we'll call it a snowcat. it's a snowcat. So Hops in a snowcat takes off. He's going to the UFO, which is still, by the way, under the ice. Yeah. But we know that by the 1982, the thing, it's uncovered. It's in like an open canyon. And what happens is it makes it to the spaceship, turns on the uh, thrusters, and melts all the ice around it, and is about to take off for like New York City, yeah, where it can just take over. Mary Elizabeth Winstead and the pilot go after him. There's some scariness on the ship. That's a lot of CG uh, going on. Kind of perfunctory. Yeah. But it really um. Kind of perfunctory. Yeah. Like you said it. But but she you know she's good in anything she does. So it can only get so bad. Yeah. So she manages to kill the thing. Spaceship <sighs> shuts down. She goes back out to the snowcat, gets reunited with the pilot. They'd gotten separated. And she's like, man, now what? And he says, well, there's a Russian station, you know, so many miles this way. Uh, and, uh, and he's like, why don't we go there? And she says, great. Uh, why don't you hand me that flamethrower for a quick sec? I'm going to store it in the back. And he does. And when he turns around again, she's pointing it at him. And she's like, you don't have your earring anymore. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. And she just fries him. Yeah. Now. In movies, ever since, I'll just say, backdraft, fire tends to make noise that yeah. it doesn't actually make. Right. Bursts of flame tend to come with a little bit of like a synthesized lion's noise or like a... Yeah. You hear something when he's getting cooked. Yeah. Could just be a slowed down version of his own human scream. It could be the alien, the thing screaming inside of him. Because, boy, that thing can scream. Mm -hmm. Or it could just be movie sound effects that represents fire which leaves me with the feeling that i think she gets left with once she's all alone miles from anyone miles from another human being just possibly having killed the only other human being my immediate response was oh my god nothing's happening like yeah. he's dying he but i expected into... it to go like and yeah. something to come some face to come out of his penis or something crazy you know like like you do when you're a thing and it didn't happen and i was no. like wait 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 wait, no she just murdered somebody but i think it's pseudo open-ended she doesn't know and it's like she's just left with what she's become yeah which is someone who has just killed maybe a person maybe a thing which launches into this whole we could write a 12 page paper yeah. on and the that's... other and suspicion and paranoia yeah. and survival. and that's where we leave her but here's what left me on such a high note with mm. this movie is that I was so conflicted. I'm like, oh, my God, did she just kill a human? I think she just killed a human. She's sitting there and she's like, there's this look on her face. And then the credits come up. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. In my head, I'm going, that's BS because what about the helicopter and the dog? Yeah. And then. And then they go to the one guy. Still alive, sort of unaccounted for. So as the credits start coming, yeah. you get moments of this scene, which, which I love. As far as uh, as far as matching the characters, it's pretty easy because it's two guys in big heavy coats. Yeah. All you can really see are like their nose. Yep. All they do is match noses. So the helicopter who had gone to like get supplies or whatever comes back, finds a place to wreck. A dog goes running out. A second Norwegian comes out and he's like, "That's not don't a let dog. the dog get away. I got grenades. Let's go." Start the helicopter. Go, go, go. And then it ends where the 1982 thing. With actual footage from begins. the movie and the music. Dun, dun, the score. Dun, dun. I mean, I said out loud, I think I said something like, oh, man, did this you watch, is awesome. Did you watch them back to back or did you watch them like? Practically back to back. I finished 
1982 version the night before I watched. I watched the 2011 version in the morning. So, you know, within 12 hours of each other. Okay, that's pretty close. Yeah, it was really close. It was pretty, pretty darn close. That's plenty of opportunity to remember the axe. Yes! Oh my God, all of it. I was just like, this is so cool. All right, in conclusion, Kat, would you recommend one, two, or all three of these films? Yeah, I'd say watch all three of them. Actually, I wouldn't need to watch The Thing from Another World again. Like, not to bag on it, it's a good movie. I do watch it from time to time. I'm I'm just enjoying it. There's only so many sci-fi horror movies from that era that don't need Mystery Science Theater for me. (laughs) One of which is Them, the Mm -hmm. Giant Ants movie. Mm -hmm. You can just watch Them by itself. And then you got, uh, let's just say, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I've seen at least five times. That's one I've watched over and over again. And and for me, in that list is Thing from Another World. Okay. Now, The 82, The Thing, yes, people. Oh, God. I I need it on Blu-ray. God. I think you have to be in a certain mood to see it. Yeah. Oh, sure. I'd love to show it to someone who's never seen it before. That's what I want to do. Do it. But good luck finding them. I mean, even though I hadn't seen it before, like I knew, I, at least I thought I knew what I was in for. I mostly knew what I was in for. But I would love to get someone who'd like lived in a vacuum to just be like, hey, you want to watch a movie? Sure. And then sit them down and just like cut them the side it's, it's eye the whole time. Thing. You know, and the dog's a... face just splits open and they're, you know, and they're crying. And It's that a Kurt Russell movie. You might know him from Overboard <laughs> or the Disney films, The Barefoot Executive. Let's watch him in this. <laughs> And the ending to that, did you know going in? The ending to the thing? Yeah. I knew it was controversial. I knew there were theories, about, but I didn't know what the ending yeah, was okay. particularly. No. See, I, so I, I, was, I never had the benefit of reaching that Oh, no, ending. it was great. It was a, I can tell you, it was such a wonderful experience riding that wave and thinking to myself while I was watching it, I don't know what's going to happen. And then the remake. I like that you but called it a good companion piece. I as think a companion I'd go with piece, that. I wouldn't say, you know what, skip the first two, just go to the oh third God, one. Oh, God, no. Because on its own, I mean, I really can't say I have never experienced just that movie on its own. Right. But I think it would just be an okay movie on its own. Yeah. But part of the larger whole, really good. Yeah. I had a great time. All right. Well, folks, The Thing. The Thing. Check it out. Or don't, but you've listened to our entire podcast. <laughs> Except for plugs. Okay? I you don't have to anything to plug. I do want to give a little shout out to one of our fans. Do it. Who's been interactive a little bit this past month. His name's Mikey Ibarra. I just wanted to say hi. He's so nice and he was commenting that he cracks up at us and that there are little comments we'll make that he totally knows what we're referencing and he just thinks it's a lot of fun. And um, I just always appreciate when anybody takes the opportunity to reach out because I feel like we always do this show in a vacuum. And so when anybody else goes like, man, I'm excited about a new episode, I'm always like, really? We, so anyway, hi, Mikey. It is odd. We do go through a lot of effort and expense yeah. to get this out to people and are consistently surprised when we find out people listen. Yeah. So stay tuned, folks. Uh, some are actually off the roster, but we're bringing those back slowly. Yep. And... Um, Tune in for the 13th of every month for a new episode. 
And uh, until next month. Beware the moon. Beware. Decay. <laughs>